Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What's up, you guys? Early edition of the Fightful MMA podcast. Sean Ross Sapp here, managing editor of FightfulMMA.com. I am joined, as always, by Showdown Joe Ferraro. Joe, are you a basketball fan, Joe? Uh, yes, I did watch Game 7, uh, and I held my breath when Kawhi Leonard put that shot up in the air, and it was just bouncing and bouncing, and it's taken over this city like you wouldn't believe. I'm sure you can understand, but yes. <laughs> it is nonstop. All my friends that have kind of moved down uh, to the States or abroad are, are still talking about it, sending me links in different languages and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was pretty crazy. I'm a big basketball fan. I love it more than, than probably any sport. I love it more than MMA, and that's not easy to do, especially playoff basketball because it's so good. And it's a struggle in Kentucky. It's such a big baseball or basketball state. Yeah but we have no pro teams. We don't have anybody in Cincinnati. If you live real close to Indiana, I guess you can like the Pacers. So I grew up a Bulls fan, and I was like, "Ah, I guess, sure, Jordan was great. But as I've gained more of a connection with Toronto, it's hard to not like everything associated with Toronto. So I was was very happy to see that. But we do have MMA and lots of it to talk about today. I mean, there's just a ton of stuff uh, between a Diaz brother allegedly being booked to fight. I know. Uh, Edgar versus Holloway. We'll see yep. if that happens. Uh, it's going to be interesting. UFC 237 and Bellator 221. What a night cumulatively of fights that was. So much stuff to talk about. UFC Rochester preview. But let's go ahead and get into the news, Joe. It broke, uh, I think it was Saturday night. Or actually, we, we can go back even further than that. Last week it broke. Donald Cerrone versus Tony Ferguson next month. Sign me yeah. up. Yeah, but did we even talk about that last week as an option? Because I don't think Tony Ferguson's name came up. I don't think it did. <laughs> it's yeah. almost like we assumed he'd be in super fight territory, but this kind of is, yeah, so well, to speak. Is. I think it is. I honestly think it is. I mean, this is huge for a cowboy, obviously. Tony Ferguson having to come back from what he's gone through. Uh, and of course, you got Cowboy on his little run right now. Um, I mean, if he beats... Tony Ferguson, what are we going to say now? Like, he has to get a title shot, right? Like, geez. And if Tony beats Cowboy, is he not supposed to beat Cowboy? Yeah, that's the thing. I, Based on what I've seen out of Cowboy Cerrone, I, I don't think this is going to be an easy fight for Tony Ferguson. Donald Cerrone is a good uh, – I'll say this. Donald Cerrone can be a bad matchup for anybody. He's that well-rounded. And then when I think about – the guys that Tony Ferguson has had trouble with in the past. He's had trouble with Kevin Lee. Okay, well, Don Cerrone's wrestling isn't that outstanding. He had some trouble with Lando Venata and the unpredictability of Lando. Donald Cerrone isn't that unpredictable. But Donald Cerrone is one of those guys who I wouldn't say is necessarily elite at one particular thing, but he's real good at almost everything. He is somehow still an underrated fighter, and I think that's a great fight. Then it was announced <laughs> that in August, Nate Diaz will fight Anthony Showtime Pettis. 
First off, can't believe Nate Diaz agreed to this fight. Why do you think he did after so long? Is it just money or is he aching a fight again? He's not fought in three years, Joe. The last person besides Conor McGregor that he beat was in 2015. I mean, other than money, what can you say, right? It's all, I think it's about money. I think he wants to get paid and, and you know, he could have the itch to fight again, which is probably normal in general when you're talking about uh, most professional mixed martial artists and a Diaz brother in general. Uh, although we shouldn't say Diaz brothers, it's more Nate because Nick doesn't seem to want to fight at all uh, unless he's it's a title shot. So um, I, I, I appreciated your texts and your, and your, not your texts, excuse me, your, your tweets and whatnot. <laughs> talking about you know in essence i'll believe it when i see it and that's pretty much the basics right i'll believe it when i see it we hope the fight does take place but there's always 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 going to be some sort of drama leading up uh to the moment he steps into the cage for for nate diaz so i think it's a great fight versus anthony pettis and it'd be interesting to see how that one breaks down but uh yeah it's i I hope it goes down let's be honest yeah I, i mean i don't think that a lot of people will think that's like a gag on the show but it's not i said that about the dustin poirier fight it didn't happen. Who was Nick booked to face? He was Nick was booked to face somebody. Yeah, Nick was yeah. Uh, booked to fight Anderson or not Anderson Silva. He was booked to fight somebody last year, and it didn't happen. And that, that's how I feel about the Diaz brothers. Would love for it to happen. Don't think that it will happen. Uh, a fight also on the docket now. Frankie Edgar versus Max Holloway this summer. It makes a lot of sense. Volkanovski's there, but he didn't have the type of performance at 237 that makes you stand up and say, you got to give him a title shot right now. Now, that being said, with Dana White, you never know. Because I didn't think that Kamaru Usman's fight against Rafael Dos Anjos was one that would make you stand up and go, wow, get the title on him now. But to Dana White, that was. So a lot of it has to do with the, the amount of respect that Dana White has for a fighter. So that's why I still thought Volkanovski was in the running. Because Jose Aldo has for better or for worse, been a good soldier. He's still fighting in the UFC. They think a lot of him. But Frankie Edgar, your boy, gets the nod against Max Holloway. And this is a hell of a fight. And you have Max Holloway stepping up again to uh, help save the day for the UFC, so to speak, in a time where they didn't quite look like they they would have a title fight in one of these pay-per-views. Yeah, I mean, well, this is what Frankie and, and uh, Max's third time trying to get this fight together. So yeah. uh, hopefully, knock on wood, the MMA gods allow it to happen. It'd be great uh, for both fighters to just get this off of their uh, their shoulders, put it on their resumes. And, you know, I, I'm assuming, I didn't check the odds just yet, but I got to assume uh, Max Holloway is the favorite heading into this fight here. But you can never count out Frankie Edgar. I mean, what what happened is, um, who's the, who, uh, I'm trying to think of the, the one boat where it was just, he just got destroyed in the first round who was it um and then max destroyed him i'm drawing a blank right now um it's from cali uh ortega ortega brian ortega right (laughs) it was one of those things where ortega is just that good but then max showed he's that much better uh but you can't ever count frankie out i know it's vintage talking me or vintage joe talking about all those fights he had with gray maynard but you never count frankie out he brings that speed and he's he'll just keep coming forward uh, until he has to go in there for the finish. So I think it's a great fight. I'd like to see how he's going to get past that reach. We all know Frankie's got fantastic cardio despite him getting older. So uh, Max can put all that pressure that he wants. If he doesn't break Frankie, it'll be a five-round war no matter what. UFC 237 was this weekend. Uh, some highs and lows on this, but that main event, it's it's amazing how good Rose Namajunas can look. And this is and this is probably going to get a significant amount of our, our talk time today. Rose Namajunas was beating the brakes off of Jessica Andrade. I mean, it, it's amazing how good Rose Namajunas looked. And then she got dropped on her head, something that she had avoided a couple of times. Now, Joe, I can't wait to hear you kind of lay down the law as it pertains to this. Jessica Andrade's slam on Rose Namajunas, legal or illegal? Uh technically illegal uh sorry it's not illegal because according to big john mccarthy it has to be a complete and utter almost 12 to 6 spike right uh and this wasn't a spike so it's it's you know at, at big john because him and i went back and forth i don't think it, i'm trying to remember which course it was i think it was the the, re- the judging course i think it was the judging course um where we kind of went back and forth uh, about this very topic and he basically said if a fighter is holding on to some type of submission, 
they can let go if they're up in the air. So we use the Rampage Jackson, uh, you know, slamming guys in the triangle. If you've got a triangle on Rampage Jackson and he picks you up, you can let go of that triangle, right? You can let go to avoid being slammed on your head. I believe Forrest Griffin let go when he was slammed, or yeah. at least enough to prevent him from getting knocked out. Right. So I, I never want to see. I mean, there was one. I forgot. Um, it was a Kevin Casey or somebody had somebody in an armbar, uh, and he basically lifted the person up and began to drive their head into the mat. Right. And I said, that's technically illegal. You're spiking somebody. And Big John's theory was, no, it's not illegal because it's not a forceful throw. It's a defense to a submission. So technically, it's, it's I guess, under the unified rules, it's okay to technically spike somebody on their head if you're defending a submission. Right. And- or a submission attempt. And the armbar that you mentioned is one that happens an awful lot because of the angle, and it's so easy to just drop somebody and spike them on their head. Uh, Rose Namajunas was holding on to a double wrist lock, a Kimura, so to speak. She beat herself. That, that's what happened. She beat herself by holding on to that. I've been a part of dozens of fighters meetings, and every single time, whether it be a pro fight or an amateur fight, I hear the ref come in and say, hey, listen, you can hold on to a submission, and I, I'll call the spike otherwise. But if you hold on, I'm, that that's too bad. You should have let go. Every single time, uh, they're warned. I'm sure that happens at the UFC levels as well. But Rose looked outstanding before this, Joe. Had she not held on to that double wrist lock, she may have still won that round She because she was winning round two. And if she would have survived those last two minutes, could have got right back up on the feet and, and started over, and we might be looking at retaining world champion. Now, here, here's the situation. You have Andrade, who's lost to Joanna. I'm sure Joanna's going to want a title shot, but she ain't beat anybody. Yep. She hasn't beat anybody anymore. You have Tatiana Suarez and Nina Ansaroff waiting in the wings, and a lot of people would say, well, Rose in a rematch. Well, normally I'm not in favor of a rematch when it's a definitive knockout finish early on, and it was. Rose is beating the brakes off her, but I don't see anything wrong with Rose going back, beating somebody else, then getting the title shot after Suarez or Ansaroff. But here's the thing, Joe. Rose seems real relieved to not be UFC champion anymore. So it says a lot about where the championship glory or where the championship um, belt, bandana, clothing, whatever you want to call it, the, the stigma of being a champion is not something Rose... Um, may overly be happy with. Remember, she operates in a completely different frequency. She's she's one of those girls that's just very simple, very humble. Doesn't care about the media attention. Doesn't care about being a star. Uh, she just wants you know peace and love and you know the whole hippie mindset and stuff like that. Um, when she said that in her post fight interview, I wasn't surprised, but it says a lot about what it meant for her to be a champion. To most people, they that's all they do. They live and breathe to become the champion and everything that comes with it. For Rose, it was just, it was a lot, right? And, we, you know, she's talked about her mental demons in the past, and she's talked about having issues and, and fighting them all the time. And, you know, being a champion, it's probably not that easy. You can just imagine the amount of requests, not just from media, from fans, but also probably from the UFC saying, hey, we'd like to get you on this talk show or on this radio show, or we have, you know, 10 interviews lined up for you over, over the next uh, two hours on uh, next Thursday uh, so we can talk about your title fight. That To her, that's a lot of pressure. To somebody else, that comes with a job, that comes with the program, it comes with being a champion. So it definitely says a lot about what Rose thought about being a champion, and she's a damn good fighter. I mean, because like you said, she was pounding Andrade. I think it was not even in the, the, the first minute, hadn't even gone in the fight, and Jessica's eye was already, met, her left eye was already messed up because that jab and that pinpoint accuracy was absolutely fantastic. But Some, some great slips too. Like, yeah, oh, that's <laughs> that probably leaving that I had not seen out of Rose Namajunas. And when you have that amount of time off, Joe, that raises a red flag, plus all the things that she's dealt with. I mean, she seems very impacted by that Conor McGregor bus situation. And I don't know. um, I don't know the extent of her interaction with Conor McGregor or how much that contributed to this. But uh, I really hope that Conor McGregor goes to her in person at some point and apologizes to her. I don't know how much that would do, but when I see, this is not the Rose Namajunas that I remember in that regard, but to some degree, it's like it affects her in the cage, possibly, obviously because of the relief, Joe, but at the same time, 
up until five seconds before that that bell rang, before that fight ended. Oh my God, this was a Rose Nami Yunus I didn't know that we would ever see. And that's not me discounting her ability. She was just that good. Yeah, and she's still young. She still has plenty yeah. of time uh, to continue getting better and potentially plenty of time to say, you know what? I actually enjoyed being the champion. Maybe I had it all wrong. Maybe, you know, maybe she'll have a different mindset. Maybe she'll be the same person. Who knows? But because of her age, there's plenty of time for her to, to reassess everything about her life and everything about her career uh, and everything UFC mixed martial arts related that, you know, are we really going to be surprised if she gets that gold wrapped around her waist again and it's a different person altogether? Plenty of time. And she just has to, um, I'm only throwing this out there because I've had this conversation with so many fighters in the past. I think she just needs to, potentially realize that, you know what, you're not going to be in your 20s forever. You're eventually going to be in your, your late 30s. You're going to be in your 40s, and you don't want to get a job, okay? You don't want to get a job. Therefore, if you have the ability to maximize the revenue your brand can generate now in your 20s and 30s, uh, and listen, try and, you know, I know she doesn't get paid as much as, you know, the, the Conor McGregor's in the world, but make some money, get some sponsorship, bank that money, invest it, and live job-free for the rest of your life. You got to do it now. You have to do it now. I know you want to be simple, but it'd be nice to have that financial cushion in your bank account to say, yeah, you know what? Our bills will always be paid. She's the type of person I would like to sit down with for an hour and just have her open up her brain because she stacked the deck against herself, Joe. Yeah. She wanted to go to Brazil. Yeah. <laughs> she asked to go there. It's it's amazing the, the complex nature of Rose Damayunas and what goes through her mind. And it's not one of those things where I'm like, oh, she does stupid stuff. She doesn't. It was noble, not stupid. It was noble, and she was whipping Jessica Andrade's ass. Uh, I can't tell you how many people we've interviewed at Fightful who the, the, the pro wrestling MMA question comes up, and almost all of them say, well, exactly what you said. I'm not going to be in my 20s forever. I'm not going to be in my early 30s forever. I can do that later. I can only do this now. We have seen some of the greats have this trouble or this hurdle mentally. GSP always seemed just stressed about being the champion. Uh, I mean, you you even see it on his face when he fought Matt Hughes the first time. Uh, Ronda Rousey. I mean, there were a lot of people when Ronda Rousey came into WWE that were like, that's not Ronda. She's being fake. No, she wasn't being fake. She didn't have the pressure of having to defend a championship on her shoulders at all times that kept her on edge. Everybody I spoke to close to her said, no, she's really happy. Because she had the what we call the happy-to-be-there look. Well, she was. The UFC, as much fame as that provided her, just wasn't it mentally for her. And, and it affected her. And another woman, by the way, who's been through a lot of shit, yeah. quite frankly. 100%. Jessica Andrade has just had some kind of run at strawweight. Um, she debuted against Jessica Panay in 2016 after she fought at Bantamweight yeah. forever. Yeah. She's beaten Jessica Panay, title contender. Joanne Calderwood, probably going to contend for a title up a weight division. Angela Hill, Invicta champion. Claudia Gadelia, title challenger. Tisha Torres, somebody who we thought was going to be a title challenger. And then Carolina Kovalkovich, a title challenger. Oh, by the way, before that ever happened, she beat Raquel Pennington too. Uh, unbelievable. I, I do want to see the winner of Suarez versus Ansaroff get that title shot. Um and I think Rose Namajunas would probably be fine with that, Joe. But what do you think? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I'd, me personally, I'd like to see the rematch between Rose and, and Andrade. But I would too. Um, I think the winner of, of Ansaroff's fight um, will like more than likely get the title shot. I want to know what you know more of what you know. As much as we laugh about it now, but yeah, Jacek, you know, what are you doing, man? Like, what's what's you want to go back to 115? You want to say 125? What do you want to do here, right? Because now that Rose is no longer the champion, does that open it up for you, right? You've already fought Jessica. Right. So what do you got? Yeah. Uh, it's been five months since she fought. I would like to see her back in there. She's got to win a fight or two. I would suggest two because she's lost three straight title fights. Who would have thunk that? Right. Yeah. Jared Cannonier defeated Anderson Silva. Just destroyed Anderson Silva's knee. There's not a lot to really break down here. Anderson Silva still has some good uh, hand speed. He's 44 years old. Had his knee obliterated by an inside leg kick from Cannoneer. This is a good win for Cannoneer, um, a methodical win, a a good uh, victory. He's won two in a row. He's uh, beaten Dave Branch, Anderson Silva back-to-back, finished them both. He is a guy that will finish fights if he wins. Anderson Silva, 
it's like every time he fights and loses, like there's, I don't want to say there's an asterisk next to it, but it's like he doesn't get knocked out or submitted or anything like that. It's an injury or it goes to the scorecards or it's some short notice thing. It's just so weird that when he's being serious, we don't see this guy just rocked in his dome. We don't see that. We don't see him taken down and arm triangled or anything like that. But have we seen the last of Anderson Silva? Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, I, don't, I don't think so. I think he's going to have at least one more bout and one more fight. Uh, I don't think he wants to go out this way. Uh, although, I mean, he did say he suffered the knee injury during training uh, and wasn't able to withstand it. I mean, this is a guy that I, I, I can't begin to explain to people, especially anyone that's considered new to the world of mixed martial arts, that how this guy was the goat. I mean, he, he would do things. I mean, if you ever go back and look at that Forrest Griffin fight in Philly and that Brazil fight against Stefan Bonner uh, and some of the stuff that he used to do and the slow motion that he, like he, he would see fighting in slow motion. He was, he was a, he was a demigod, man. The guy was a demigod in MMA uh, in the UFC and, and just to see where he's at now. I mean, it just goes to show you eventually, no matter who you think is the greatest, no matter who you think is the best, no matter what, if they continue to fight, Father Time will eventually catch up to them. And this is a guy whose body has probably been beat up. And, you know, he would take a leg kick, you know, even before the Wyman fights and, and, and take it and just go and go and go and go. But one heart one was one hard kick. It was numerous hard kicks uh, from Jared. But other than that, it, it's we're, we're seeing the end very, very soon here. There were three people in this show that at some time there were legit conversations. Are they the best fighter in the world? Another one of those was Jose Aldo. He just got dominated by the much young, or I don't want to say much younger Alexander Volkanovsky. He's a year and a half, two years younger. But as as far as in cage action, much younger. Volkanovsky did what he had to do to win. But this was, uh, okay, because it's Jose Aldo, it is the type of performance that makes me go, hot damn, that was impressive. But if it were against anybody else, almost, I wouldn't be that impressed by it. But considering the level of competition, yeah, I think this puts a damper and almost eliminates Jose Aldo from any future title picture if he retires as he plans on doing, unless he does this thing where he just fights back-to-back-to-back months Anthony Smith style, which I don't yeah. see happening. Uh, what are your thoughts here? It's tough to see Aldo uh, also beginning to fade here, right? Because this is a guy that you could never get a hold of. This is a guy that was so dominant uh, in every fight that he ever had, uh, obviously before the Holloway fights as well, but... This was a guy that used to just dictate where the fight was going to take place, when it was going to end. Uh, and, and you know, he's got a hard, big-time hard. He's got resolve. I mean, go look at that Mark Hominick fight. He messed up Mark Hominick's head, but almost lost that title in Toronto. But he kept going. He, he was taking a beating. Uh, but normally speaking, Aldo, when he wanted to, when he decided to switch a gear, fights were over. I'll never forget that one fight with Frank Yeager the last time they fought. It was just like, I couldn't believe somebody could be that much faster than Frankie Edgar and just control and own the the, the striking and the and the space in general. Um, seeing what happened on Saturday night now versus you know Volkanovski, it's you, thinking, dude, you're fighting in Brazil. You know, you're nicknamed the King of Brazil at times, right? Like, what happened? What's what's going on here? How do you not know that you're losing this fight or you you've got to go in there for the finish? You know, yeah, you're the number one contender. You're not the champion though. And imagine losing your title like this, right? So. Unfortunately for him, not looking good. I mean, there's still options for him at 145 pounds, but is the weight cut causing problems, Sean? Is the weight cut that's now draining him, not allowing him to perform anymore because he's getting older? Maybe 155 is the answer. I would love to see him at least give it a go there. Uh, what can we say about Frank or BJ Penn that we didn't already say before UFC Phoenix in January 2017? What we said, I think, uh, Oklahoma City in June 2017 – uh, before Inglewood at 232 last year. He's not good. And the fact that he didn't get obliterated in round one of Clay Guida's fight, people were like, ah, best he's looked in years. That's not a high bar. <laughs> Clay Guida beat him. Clay Guida did what Clay Guida does. He started slow and then picked up. And gosh, if that fight would have went 30 more seconds or a minute longer, I think he probably puts BJ Penn away. Uh, Clay Guida, still effective at 37 years old. Yeah. BJ Penn, however, uh, not effective in the least at 40 years old. I wish UFC would go ahead and get, get to Hawaii so he can retire. 
Yeah, that that's a great analogy. Yeah, it'd be nice to have an event there. Put BJ on there, maybe the first boat in the main card. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's to, to say he's long on the tooth is would be an understatement. It's it's unfortunately he's not going to have any teeth to be long in if he keeps fighting. Yeah, it's it's done. It's it's tough to watch. Very very difficult to watch. Uh, again, like we were talking about Anderson Silva and Jose Aldo, this was once a guy that would just dominate, dominate people when he was a champion. Uh, you know, in the, in the first fight with George St. Pierre, um, put a hurt on George, right? First time George ever lost a round in the UFC. And uh, it, it was BJ Penn in his prime was something else, man. He was arguably considered the best boxer in MMA at the time, right? And now it's you know, even his boxing skill set. I know he's still with Perillo, right? But it's it's the speed is gone. The power might be there, but the timing is off, right? He's getting just pieced up whenever he competes. It sucks. I hate watching it, but I don't even know why. I mean, it's not like he's not, doesn't have the money. I mean, is he, I mean, there's the legal troubles potentially coming up, but he comes from a very rich family. I don't think it's about the money. So it's BJ Penn and living on that Island and always wanting to fight. Eventually you got to stop because the younger guys in general are going to beat you. Even though you fought an older guy, the younger guys are always going to beat you eventually. We had a few other guys and a girl who had never quite reached the mountaintop of UFC who lost. Tiago Alves got beat. He has never won three fights in a row since GSP changed his life, so to speak. He got beat by Staropoli, who is an emerging prospect. Staropoli did what he he needed to do. Ryan Spann just obliterated Little Nog. Now, I didn't see the Little Nog fight as the charity case that I see BJ Penn because going into this fight, Little Nog had won two out of three fights for better, for worse. I'm okay with him hanging around, even though he's lost three times pretty viciously by KO, TKO over the last four or five years. I'm okay. If he wants to hang around a couple more times and he wins one of those, hey, keep it going, man. Uh, A a loss to to a prospect like Ryan Spann, not going to hurt me. Irene Aldana beat Betch Cohea and... (laughs) <laughs> Betch Cohea was ready to get out of there, and I'm ready to get Betch Cohea out of the UFC. I don't usually advocate for one losing their job, Joe. I don't. This woman was at home in Brazil and blew weight by six pounds, five or six pounds. So Irene Aldana, hey, you, you make those featherweight rankings. Irene Aldana's in there because she just beat a featherweight. You look at Betch Cohea, submitted by Aldana. Hadn't fought for two years before that, got her head kicked off by Holly Holm. Yeah. The Mary Renault draw should have been a loss. Renault beat her. The Jessica I fight, Jessica I should have beaten her. That was not a, a win for Betch Cohea. Uh, check MMADecisions.com. Uh, Raquel Pennington beat her. Ronda Rousey beat her. That's an awful lot of mileage, as I say, because she went face down, ass up on a straight out of Compton logo and beat a couple of horsewomen who, quite frankly, And a lot of people will disagree with me. I think that had Shayna Baszler and Jessamyn Duke been anywhere but where they were training at the time, they probably both beat Betch Cohea at that time. Uh, Julie Kedzie was at the end of her run. But, man, this woman is incredibly overrated. And she blew weight. That was unprofessional. I don't know what she was battling, but I'm ready to see her gone. I'm ready to see her fighting in Invicta or something. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not going to sit here and disagree with it. I think – for me, Betch Cohea has always been more of a, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give her this. She's tough as nails. She'll stand in the pocket and, and, you know, trade bombs with you. But there was more, just her personality has always been a gimmick to me. You know, it's one of those, it's her real life personality. Don't get me wrong. But how mm-hmm. it comes across on camera and just in general, it was, it, people can look at it as a gimmick. You know, it's just, it's just kind of weird if you know what I'm saying. But, you know, I'm never going to take away the fact that she's, you know, competing in the UFC and, you know, stand and trade with anybody, but yeah, I, I, I think enough's enough. I mean, I mean, she was the one yeah. that screamed at Ronda Rousey and told her not to cry before the fight, right? Yeah. <laughs> How'd yeah. that work out? Yeah. How'd that work out? Um, other fights on the show, Tiago Moises uh, beat Kurt Hollabaugh, Warley Alves beat Sergio Marias, Luana Carolina defeated Priscilla Keshwara, probably sent her packing. That was a fun fight, but not a good fight, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. There was a lot of technical issues there. Uh, Barcelos defeated Hashin, but the the moment somebody joseph boza asks our under the radar moment i'll tell you mine yeah vivian arajau defeating talita bernardo arajau is a straw weight who took this fight at bantamweight on a couple days a few like a few days notice and just knocked out talita bernardo a top 15 fighter um 
Gato was at I got five on it pick for me, and I was quick to to say, hey, Arajal still is, and she delivered. The only person to beat her is Sarah Frota, who just stepped into the UFC and hung with uh, a UFC caliber fighter herself, even though she lost. This is a woman I am on the lookout for, whether it be bantamweight, flyweight, strawweight. This this woman opened up a world of doors for herself on huge. Saturday, Joe. Absolutely huge. You take a look at what she did. You don't just go up 20 pounds uh, and then go beat a top contender or somebody in the top 15 um, and, and not have people thinking, wait a second, what just happened here? If you went up that much weight, you'd be competing in three different divisions? Yeah. Interesting, interesting, interesting. You are available to the UFC uh, at a moment's notice. So uh, give her some more fights. Let's see where she goes from here. Yeah, this is the time for her to make it happen, too. She's 32 years old, so uh, no time to waste there. She hadn't fought since August of last year. So before that, it was like 2017. She had like a really packed uh, year or so where she had three or four fights, but I, I'm very interested in seeing what she does and what she can do. Bellator 221, and you know how they used to, to call UFC, like UFC heavy hitters and stuff like that? Bellator 221 is Scott Coker's wettest dream. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I, I unfortunately did not have a chance to watch all the fights. I did catch some highlights uh, only because when you know when it was coming up on my my feed, I'm like, what the hell's happening here? Like, what's what's going on here? I mean, the AJ McKee Pat Kern fight, okay, fine, yeah. I get it. Yeah. But then, what the heck happened here? I'll let you go on with it, but whoa, what happened here? Pat Kern has been so inactive. I'll, I'll approach that first. I forgot that he had spent nonstop in Bellator nine years. Yeah, because he doesn't fight very often. He fought once in 2016, once in 2017, none last year, once this year. AJ McKee beating him, hell of a win, but not one that makes me stand up and go, hot damn. No. What I'll tell you what AJ McKee did. He Antonio McKeed Pat Curran. That is exactly what he did. Like father, like son. Yep. And um, hey, you know what? There ain't nothing wrong with that, but that type of uh, style got AJ McKee or – and yeah – it got Antonio McKee one shot in the UFC, and when he lost, that was it. He never got back. Uh, AJ moves on to 14-0, and 0, and this is a top talent. They, they brought him on slow. He's had every fight in his four-year career in Bellator. He's up to 14-0, and 0, and he's beating top talent. Bellator knows how to bring their fighters on. Jack Swagger, though. <laughs> I was afraid that somebody might die in this fight, and I don't mean Jack Swagger. <laughs> TJ Jones was the definition of happy to be there. And Jack Swagger beat his ass, took him down. But hey, TJ Jones fought off a double wrist lock and a top wrist lock, but got put to sleep with an arm triangle. If I'm Jack Swagger, I'm getting back in there July, August, maybe. Yeah, right away. Let's go. Crush another can. Let's let's get back in there. Did you happen to see the finish? Any thoughts of him holding on a little bit too long? He says he, he used the old... Paul Harris defense of, oh, I got to make sure. And I, I have more room for that than I do a, a, a heel hook or something like that. I think he was just holding on a bit more because TJ Jones's trash talk just got enough of him that, um, you know, Swagger hasn't really experienced the trash talk in MMA as most guys have over their career. So he wanted to make this a little bit more personal. And, hey, you know what? Wanted to make sure. Just wanted to make sure. I'm sure you did. I'm sure you did. He cut this weird promo where he said he had an emotional erection. He said that he had a phoner. I don't know. He <laughs> healed up the crowd as he should have. Jared Cannonier did this very similarly after the Anderson Silva fight. I want to ask you about that. I love it. Now, there was a situation a couple years ago after WrestleMania where Roman Reigns beat The Undertaker. And okay. Roman Reigns was this good guy that was shoved down the throats of the fans and all this stuff. They didn't. They just didn't like him like that. So he comes out to the crowd, he doesn't say anything, and for a good solid eight or nine minutes, the crowd just boos him. He looks at the crowd, he says, this is my yard now, and leaves. That's similar to what Jared Cannonier did. He should have said that verbatim. <laughs> he should have said that in Brazil. Like, that I run Brazil this. now. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I don't know if he was legitimately affected. I saw him ready to throw hands with a with an elementary schooler on UFC Countdown. That was that was pretty funny, but 
I like the playing to the crowd. Do it. Make it work. Uh, I'll tell you what worked. Uh, Taiwan Claxton beat James Bennett. Okay. But uh, Doug, about that? no. Yeah. James Bennett was overmatched and was begging to get his ass kicked in that fight. Douglas Lehman knocks out Michael Venom Page. This, to a lesser degree, reminded me of the Nama Yunus Andrade fight. I, I was very impressed by Michael Page. He did great keeping his distance. He was active from the bottom when he was taken down. He did more than Lima did. He opened up with a nice punch. And the thing that bugged me, Joe, was a lot of people said, that's what happens when you fight cocky. And I'm like, whoa, that was a very subdued Michael Venom Page. That was a Michael Venom Page who took this task very seriously, Joe. But as one of the first things that you teach people in, in an MMA kickboxing class, like what I taught for years, don't cross your feet. Why? You're going to get your foot swept out from underneath you. You can get taken down easier. The the thing that makes Michael Page elite in some regards is his undoing, as often is the case. And Douglas Lima did Douglas Lima things, Joe. This was amazing. He said it. Douglas Lima did Douglas Lima things. I, I don't understand um, why he doesn't get the love that he deserves. It's namely because he's in Bellator. And, I, and I'll, I'll go back and watch that Roy McDonald fight, man. I still think Lima won that fight. I still believe Lima won that fight, and he's a top contender still. He should be a champion. And, you know, at, at 170 pounds, he needs to – he's not getting younger, but uh, he's causing havoc. He's continuing to cause havoc, and he just took out, you know, who many of us thought was going to be someone that Belter was going to continually promote and potentially get a belt around his waist eventually. And he just derailed that train real quick. Douglas Lima is a seasoned vet. He'll fight cerebrally. He knows exactly what to do, even if he's getting hurt. He's not going to quit. He's not going to go away. He'll find a way to win or find a way to go out in a shield. Simple. Outstanding performance. And I, 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 it was good to see MVP, his first loss, a little humble in defeat. Uh, there was nothing cocky about what MVP did. He fought the way that he was going to fight to win. And you know what? I'm not convinced that if they did this 10 times that it doesn't go 5-5 five and five based on what I saw in the cage. Whereas if Rose Namajunas and Jessica Andrade fight, I'm probably going eight to two Rose there. Yeah, like that—that's the difference there. Uh, it wasn't so overwhelmingly impressive for MVP, but he had made some adjustments to fit his game a little bit better, and that's what was important to me. Let uh, me ask you this. Let me ask you this: Douglas Lima at Rory McDonald potentially can meet again. What's your take on that? I don't want to see it, but. I also do. I want to see Douglas Lima absolutely throttle a Gracie who probably who is okay, good, but compared to Lima, nah. And isn't, I, I, isn't Gracie taking on Rory though? Yep. Okay. And I don't know that Gracie can beat Rory McDonald, but then again, we talked about the GSP Ronda Rousey Rose Namajuna situation. Rory is very clearly in that boat right now. He straight up said that Jesus didn't. Jesus was affecting his violence. That ain't good, <laughs> man. Uh, then the main event, Patricio Pitbull, in my opinion, solidified himself. All all jokes aside about the Pitbull brothers main eventing shows, I think the Patricio, Patricio Pitbull Pitbull <laughs> solidified himself as the greatest fighter in Bellator history. Some will say Askren. Askren was there. For, Askren. Okay, go ahead. Askren was there for three years and nine fights. Patricio Pitbull has been there for a, uh, nine years now. He's won tournaments. He's won multiple championships. He's won two division championships now. He is a double champion. Uh, and dare I say, his biggest win ever was this past week over uh, Michael Chandler. Uh, all due respect to Daniel Strauss, Wilson Hastes, whatever. But I mean, you're looking at a guy in Patricio Pitbull who has beat guys that have competed at the highest levels of 125, 135, 145, and now 155. He's a guy who probably could, if he wanted to, could probably make 135. Yeah, probably. But here he is competing at 145 and 155, getting it done. You look at the trajectory of some of his losses. Pat Curran, he avenged that. Daniel Strauss, he avenged that. Ben Henderson, that was a TKO in a fight that he's probably winning if they run that back. And, oh, by the way, they probably could now. Yeah. The Joe Warren fight. Call him out. Lots of people feel some kind of way about that. Yeah. But uh, 
he just flattened Michael Chandler. What did you think of the finish before we get into uh, uh, Patricio Pitbull's history? Well, people could say there was a bunch of people that were saying that, you know, it was an early stoppage and shouldn't have happened. Got to move, man. Can't just sit there and not defend yourself. Very simple. I think it's fantastic. The fact that it happened. So a couple things to think about for a second. All he was missing was a straight out of Compton logo. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was a minute long or 61 seconds to be to be exact. Did Chandler suffer any concussions during training? I don't. I can't believe they interviewed him after that. Yeah. I get it. He wants to say his piece. Don't interview him after that. They shouldn't have interviewed Rose after she was knocked out either. Bad. Rough. Yeah, so uh, I don't know. When I see things like that, who was it? Kung Lee and, and Rich Franklin or someone like that where I was like, you don't go down that easy ever unless you've suffered yeah. concussions recently. Uh, I think Chandler could take a lot more. Take nothing away from, from Pitbull's power and, and, and precision and, and technique. Don't get me wrong. Um, but something leads me to believe Chandler may have suffered something uh, in training. But to, to go back on your discussion about you know Patricio being the greatest Bellator fighter of all time, it's hard to argue that, man. It is very hard to argue that. And here's the thing. Had Chandler won, I might have put him in that territory because yeah. they were both fighting for their 17th win in the company. And Chandler, when you look back at some of the people that, that he has beaten, you, you see Eddie Alvarez's name there. You see Patricky Pitbull. You see Marcin Held, who was real good at that point. Uh, even like some mainstays like David Rickles, but he beat Ben Henderson. He Beat a former champion in Brit Premise. He's a three-time world champion. Had he beaten Will Brooks one of those times, yep. I think that it almost would have been definitive in that regard. Also, you, you look at uh, Bellator champions, and they traditionally have just not hung around very long, Joe. And even when they do, you get a guy like Darian Caldwell who loses yep. elsewhere. You get a guy like... King Mo, who couldn't get to the mountaintop, who they wanted to be their, their world champion. I think it's wide open for Patricio Pitbull as the, the greatest fighter in Bellator history right now. I mean, maybe maybe I'm missing something. Maybe there's some fighter that's just like kind of under the radar to me, but the fact that he's competed and uh, won multiple weight division titles, that that says a lot. Hey, you know what? If Ryan Bader hangs around for three or four more years and successfully defends those both of those titles, Very true. it's going to be hard to deny him that as well because Fedor, Mitrione, King Mo, Vassell, Phil Davis, that's a hell of a resume your first two years, Joe. Yeah. Do you put Daniel Cormier on that list some way somehow? No, probably not. Oh, man, I would love to see that fight. I would. So that was uh, Bellator MMA 221. It was a fun show, all things considered. You, you put the highlights together of that show, and it was a good one. Now, we didn't talk about the PFL show much, and I didn't watch it, quite frankly. I watched the highlights of it. Same. Um, Kayla Harrison ended up taking on Larissa Pacheco. Larissa Pacheco is a UFC washout who still was probably her biggest challenge. Mm-hmm. And Kayla Harrison won that fight. That's got to be a good sign regardless, but I mean, am I putting a lot of stock into it? No, but I mean, that's, I, I think it's, I think it's good that Kayla Harrison took on somebody with that UFC experience. You're not going to have that a whole lot though, Joe, considering the weight division that she fights at. No, I think you're right. I mean, it, I think we talked about it specifically that this card was more or less designed for her to be in that main event to showcase her. Uh, well, we got 15 minutes of her, right? So we got to show we got to see Kayla Harrison uh, in action. But at the same time, 3025 on one card. I know. I just saw that 3025. We we also had Sarah Kaufman winning real quick. Chris Curtis, who we spoke up on this show, uh, winning with uh, a minute left. Uh, Ray Cooper, uh, PFL regular winning. Uh, John Doomsday Howard lost and lost yeah. uh, in under a round. Uh, things haven't been great for him. He's winless in his last. Or, one, or three of his last four fights, he's had like an illegal knees, had some rough luck because I, I know that he was looking to turn things around when he signed with PFL um, or World Series of Fighting, whenever it was. But yeah, they're they're worth keeping their eye on at least. If they're going to put on a show that has at least a few intriguing names, I might start tuning in a little bit more. But uh, if one can't get people to tune in for Eddie Alvarez and Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson, what the hell are they what the hell's going to go on here? I don't yeah. know. We have UFC Fight Night Rochester this weekend. 
And there are some interesting names on this show. But let's go ahead and go through the betting odds of this, starting with the bottom. Julio Arce, a minus 570. Julian Arosa, uh, a plus 435. That is an amazing line. Zach Cummings, a plus 135. Trevin Giles, a minus 155. You have Mikel Pereira, who is known as the Lion Salt guy. He uh, did a Lion Salt off of a cage over overseas. He's a minus or a plus two fifteen rather. Danny Roberts a minus two fifty five. You have Desmond Green a minus five fifty. Charles <laughs> Jordan a plus four twenty five. Grant Dawson plus one twenty five. Mike Trezano minus one forty five. Austin Hubbard who we interviewed over on the site a plus three sixty. Davi Ramos a minus four fifty. Is there anybody among these that you're particularly looking forward to seeing fight? Uh, there are so many shows, Joe, where we see close lines. This ain't one of them. There's a lot of lopsided betting odds on this show. I got five on it. It's going to be tough this week. Yeah, I, I just want to see how Desmond Green performs against Jordan, only because you know he's coming off that win uh, versus Ross Pearson, pretty dominant. Uh, and he called. He said he really wanted to be on this card here. So now you're on the card. Now you're here. Now you're basically in your hometown. Now you're going to feel the pressure of competing uh, on your home soil. Um, a lot of guys, Rich Franklin told me, George St. Pierre told me, a lot of guys that have competed, and girls that have competed at home, pretty much um, you know, on their home, tor- uh, home turf, sleeping in their own bed, although most promoters are smart and saying you can't sleep in your own bed, you are staying in the hotel. Uh, but there's a lot of pressure because everybody and their sister, their brother, their cousin, uh, if you once you know, fed their fish, want tickets. A lot of headaches. So we'll see how Desmond Green handles that. He's a massive favorite right here. I think it's a little too much, but uh, that's the one name that I'm paying very, very close attention to. W. Ramos, obviously, I think is going to put on uh, a hell of a performance. But other than that, uh, of the names that you mentioned, um, and Danny Roberts. Danny Roberts, I want to see how he does against Pereira. Yeah, uh, Pereira is the one that I'm looking at. I'm looking at Arce as well. But um, you then get a couple of names that are familiar. Ed Herman, a plus 200. Patrick Cummins, a minus 240. This seems to me like <laughs> a let's get Patrick Cummins a win fight. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, Herman's he's, obviously slowed down drastically. So, yeah. Cummins has lost two in a row. Herman has lost three in a row, four of his last five. Herman doesn't have a win since 2016. He has one win in the last five years. Woo. Woo. I was at his fight two wins ago, and that was five years ago. Unbelievable. Uh, I have Patrick Cummins winning this one. But then you get into to some of the, the more uh, highlighted fights, and there aren't names outside of the main event that jump off the page. But there are some good names. Charles Oliveira, a minus 365. Nick Lentz, a plus 305. I am not putting five on Nick Lentz. I think that Charles Oliveira is looking really, really good these days. And I'm looking for him to probably run away with this fight. Um, I, I think that we finally got him to stop talking about 145. I think. I hope. Because this isn't the, the 22, 23-year-old anymore. This is the 29-year-old that needs to make the most of his prime years, Joe. He's won three in a row or four in a row all by submission within two rounds. He's won four or five. The only person to beat him since returning to lightweight is Paul Felder. And as we say, that happens. Yeah. Very excited to see Charles Oliveira fight because he is an emerging underrated name um, at lightweight. I'm I'm still, I'm not always going to be convinced with Charles Oliveira, although his recent run is absolutely slick, super sick, super slick. Uh, he wants to keep adding to that, you know, submission record. Uh, I'm sure, but Nick Lentz, uh, the carney, isn't easy to put away. Uh, I know you're not the biggest fan of Nick Lentz. Not many people are with his political well, I, views. And- I don't want to say that. It's just I thought it was hilarious years ago when people were accusing Conor McGregor of running from Nick Lentz. Yeah, of course. That's still hilarious. Yeah, Conor McGregor. No disrespect to Nick Lentz. Nick Lentz is a is a good fighter. One yeah. three of four. I think he's like five and two in his last seven, he can get it done, man. But I, I, I mean, he's beaten some good fighters too. Gray Maynard, Will Brooks, um, Diego Nunez back when people thought that Diego Nunez was something Tyson Griffin, when people thought he was something like he's got some good wins and he's really experienced. I just think that he's going to lose to Charles Oliver. Yeah. 
we'll see what happens. I think it's going to be a bit. I mean, if you could suck the will to win out of Oliveira to take away his options, pound him away. Uh, he has shown a propensity sometimes. He'd be like, oh, man, what do I do here? What do I do here? What do I do here? Uh, and then sort of fade away. Um, but if Oliveira gets a hold of Lentz early and Lentz isn't all bloody and slippery, it could get real fun to watch this guy put a little submission on. There's a prelim headliner that I think is just fascinating. Aspen Ladd, a prospect at the UFC, uh, wants to do great things. She's 7-0 and as a pro. Just beat Tanya Evander. That's a hell of a win. Beat Lena Landsberg. Hell of a, quite frankly, you can throw her in the featherweight rankings and she qualifies. She's beaten two uh, cyborg <laughs> victims. You're right. She was 8-1 and one as an amateur. That one lost, Joe, Cynthia Calvillo. I mean, hey, th- yeah. that's why I put more stock into women's amateur fights. There aren't as many women. And a lot of times you're going to run into people who you see on the pro circuit a lot more. And quite frankly... A lot of the people you beat in your first or second uh, pro fight are as good as some of the ones you're beating in your amateur fights. That's just a sad reality right now. She's beaten Amanda Cooper, Lena Landsberg. She's beaten Sajara Eubanks before. Yeah. Is she going to do it again with Sajara Eubanks up a weight division after she's had this resurgence? Sajara went 3-0 and on the Ultimate Fighter. She's beaten Lauren Murphy. She's beaten Roxanne Modafferi. But now they're doing this at, uh, I, I believe this is a Bantamweight fight. Will, will Eubanks avenge that loss? It's, it's a win-win for the UFC, I think. Yeah, definitely. 100% it is. I mean, will she avenge that loss? I mean, the fact that she signed on the dotted line to fight her again leads me to believe, yeah, you know what? I'm getting back on that horse. Let's do this. Let's fight. I'm not afraid of her. Uh, what happened, happened. It was, you know, that one obviously went to a decision. But Aspen Ladd's no joke. She's pulling off some pretty slick wins. Uh, and you know, I think you're right that the fact that this is the main event of the prelims drive people to the main card. I think it's going to be a fantastic fight. I'm still leaning towards Aspen Ladd in this one, though. She is a massive favorite, a minus 300 Eubanks at plus 250. And this is a woman who was supposed to, and Eubanks was supposed to compete for a UFC title. Uh, thankfully, she didn't. That I mean, I, I'm all for a title being decided on the Ultimate Fighter, but I want the quality of fighters to be up there and that just wasn't speaking of uh, divisions that are in flux megan anderson a minus 150 felicia spencer a plus 130 i find it very ironic and a little bit funny that when cyborg loses the featherweight title that the featherweight division is probably in the best shape (laughs) that it has ever been in and i mean in the history of women's 145 pound fighting Amanda Nunez, the champion. Chris Cyborg's out there. You have Felicia Spencer. You have Megan Anderson. You have um, Macy Shiasen, who's there. And quite frankly, if if you want to throw Betch Cohea into a 145 fight, I'm not going to hate on that. As much as I think that I never she thought probably, of that. yeah, if she's if she's missing weight by that much, and you want her against a Felicia Spencer or a Megan Anderson next time out, hey, okay, sure. But you also have people like Tanya Evinger who have competed there. You have Holly Holm who has competed there. You have Lena Landsberg, a top 15 fighter, who has competed there. Caitlin Vieira could probably compete there. So there's a lot of hypotheticals as it relates to women's 145. But I'm glad to some degree that they're not just pulling the plug on it because of what happened. Because they have a couple of names in Felicia Spencer and Megan Anderson who can fight. How do you see this one going? Well... I mean, in terms of Felicia Spencer, I mean, she's undefeated. She's 6-0. and uh, Confidence will likely be at an all-time high. But Megan Anderson's just an absolute destroyer. I mean, let's be honest. I know what happened in that in that Katzengano fight. Uh, people were bitching and complaining. It was a kick that was thrown. Silence. Okay? Kick yeah. was thrown. Caught the eye. Is what it is. Do I want to see the rematch? Yeah. Let's run it back. But it's not going to happen right now. Um, so she's 9-3. and three. Let's see what happens now when she takes on an undefeated fighter, full of confidence, coming from Invicta. Uh, I think it's a fantastic fight. It's going to open up a lot of eyes, no pun intended, uh, to the winner <laughs> of this one here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this fight. This this main card, really from the top prelim on, I'm just like, damn, this is going to be fun. Neil Magny, a plus 425 underdog against Vicente Luque, who, you know, very good, but it's hard for me to put those odds. If you put... Neil Magny in there with almost anybody. It's hard for me to to accept those odds. He's a guy that can get it done against almost anybody, but they're not giving him much of a chance here. How much of a chance are you giving him? Uh, we did speak to him over at Fightful.com. 
I think uh, there's been a change. I think Magny actually had to withdraw from this fight. Oh, okay. Uh, he's no longer competing, so they are trying to find a replacement for Luke. Uh, and we're talking like super short notice, so I don't even think. Well, Luke hey, is- that that's good because I moved his interview back this week. Now I can just take it off the docket. <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, my apologies there as Magny is out. It's been a wild week with uh, WWE in the UK. <laughs> But uh, beyond that, uh, still, I think that line was ridiculous. Uh, yeah. I, and I base all these betting odds. I go to best fight odds, which still has it listed. I'm surprised that Antonio Carlos Jr. at minus 185 is that close against Ian Heinish at plus 160. Because Shoeface, quite frankly, is a wrecking machine, man. Uh, yeah. He's very good. And Ian Heinish, also very good. And Ian Heinish has done some things. He beat Cesar Ferrara. Um, he beat, I think, Sumter on Contender Series. But when you have the resume of Shoeface, now granted, he hasn't fought in a year, and he he had it was impossible for him to get in the cage over the past year. He had three fights canceled. Jack Marshman, Eric Spicely, Marvin Vittori. Like he has won, I think, five in a row in the UFC. I've got Shoeface running away with this one as well. I do too. I mean, I, I think, I mean, he's number 12 right now as of, they haven't updated the rankings just yet. Uh, but Shoeface can go on a run here, right? I mean, I, I'm seeing a Shoeface Weidman fight coming up soon. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I think they're going to match yeah. those two up uh, real soon. I think Costa it's did good get, matchup. yeah, Costa got Romero, right? They're, they're saying that's going to happen, mm-hmm. except for Sean Ross Sapp, who doesn't believe it's going to happen. Yeah, that's <laughs> on the Cormier Miocic card, allegedly. <laughs> right? But I think Shoeface, I don't want to look past his opponent right now, but I think Shoeface emerges victorious for sure. Main event, Kevin Lee, minus 105. Rafael Dos Anjos, a minus 115. This is what we've waited to see. Kevin Lee at 170, and it's got to be a motivated Kevin Lee. I hate that Kevin Lee is in BJ Penn territory without the accolades. Is he going to be motivated? Because there are question marks about his motivation against Iaquinta. Yeah, There were question marks about his health against Tony Ferguson. I'm still of the belief that if Kevin Lee doesn't have staff going into that fight, he's probably UFC lightweight champion. And then who knows how things went because he started to perform poorly after that. He missed weight after that. He is the primary case for a 165 pound division. And if Conor McGregor would fight, they're probably making a 165 pound division. Yeah. Does he get it done against Rafael Dos Anjos, who obviously the UFC thinks a lot of, but to me, Dos Anjos. If he loses this, he also loses that luster of, well, okay, this puts you in the mix. In the mix. Because while a loss to Kevin Lee, Kamaru Usman, Colby Covington, and a couple earlier ones to Ferguson, Alvarez, Nurmagomedov, hey, no sweat there. You got to win some fights here and there, Joe. Yeah, that's the thing, though. You can't be coming into a main event. Uh, I mean, one would consider... You know, Rafael Dos Anjos pretty lucky to be in a main event coming on a he's on a two fight losing streak, right? So he's in a main event. Like I said, the UFC holds him in high regard, but he did lose to Colby Covington and Kamar Usman back to back. So uh, he also defeated Robbie Lawler in a fantastic performance. Then on the flip side, um, okay, listen, we're putting a lot of stock in you, Rafael. You better do good in this fight here. Then you got Kevin Lee. You know, like you said, that whole Tony Ferguson staff infection thing. He comes back and busts up. Uh, it's a Barbosa in the fifth we, we have somebody that says, stop it. Kevin wasn't going to beat Tony. I'm like, Lando Venata almost beat Tony. Yeah. Tony isn't like some unstoppable wrecking machine. It's, some they, people just don't want, either they didn't watch the fight or they got short-term memories. I mean, that that is unbelievable. I'm not saying that he would have beaten Tony, but he damn well could have. And did things in that fight that almost had the win secured for him anyway. Yeah, so... Just for me, for, for Kevin Lee against Ayala Iaquinta, something was up. You know, you talk about the motivation. It was a 25-minute 25, 25 fight. Which Kevin Lee is going to show up? So it's, it's a lot of questions heading into this, this matchup here, more than any other on this card, only because which guy shows up? Is it the vintage fighter for both of them, or we're seeing a trend here, right? I'll be here talking about this after the show. Make sure you guys tune into our live coverage. We have hundreds, even thousands of comments Every single week, it's going to be a big weekend. WDB Money in the Bank. Uh, also, I want to announce and welcome Harry Kettle, UK's own. No relation to Rusty Kettle of Salad Fingers fame. He's going to be doing some interviews uh, for us. He uh, secured one with Jack Hermanson this week. That will be up shortly. 
So make sure you guys check that out and uh, go give him a follow. He's at HJ Kettle on Twitter. Really looking forward to some of the stuff that he's done. If you guys remember, he was on a show. I think it was the year end show uh, with me uh, last year. Maybe we'll get him on here, uh, here and there. But uh, Joe, what do you got going on this week? Same old, same old, man. Lots of work, lots of work. It's that time of the year. Uh, and for those that don't know, uh, the weather here, Sean, is absolutely horrendous. We've been awaiting for the town of Stouffville, Ontario, to open up the field so all soccer teams can practice. And from what I understand, I found out yesterday in a meeting, soccer can't get underway, baseball cannot get underway, and you know, there's apparently a pretty big cricket program out here. But all outdoor sports in the town of where I live are unable to begin because the fields are soaked still. Uh, and it's oh. it rained a bit today. So uh, we got a game next week, man. Next I'm, Thursday is our first game. We haven't had a practice yet. My wife and I are going to get into playing a little bit of soccer for the cardio this year. Very excited and terrified. Good for you. Yeah, good I for talked you. her into coming and doing some jujitsu with me on Thursday. Going to teach her a couple things. Uh, it's something I've always wanted her to learn. Very excited about that. I don't get the chance to get into uh, Iron Fish Gym in Maysville that much, but she's like, you know what? Out of school for the summer. Don't have a job. Let's go do it. Good so for her, man. Very, awesome. very, very excited for me to guillotine her and her to give up and never want to go back again. <laughs> so bad. <It's> just- <laughs> so mean. <laughs> Guys, leave us a thumbs up on this video. I can't tell you how much that helps. Uh, let people know about us. Until next time, we're out. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.